Welcome to another thrilling episode on Book TV. But before we dive in, let's talk about enhancing your reading experience with novel nutrition. As you lose yourself in today's story, imagine supporting your journey with our unique supplements, specially crafted for readers like you. Whether it's boosting focus with Epic, unwinding with Read, or energizing with Zip Strips, Novel Nutrition is here to complement each chapter of your literary adventure. Visit novelnutrition.co or click the link in the show notes, and don't forget to use code BOOKTV for an exclusive 20% discount. Now, let's immerse ourselves in the magic of today's story. Chapter 51 The man had gone back home after a meeting. He couldn't get his hand to stop shaking. He went through his normal ritual as the sun started to go down checking the perimeter of the house, making sure his garden hadn't been disturbed, and confirming each lock in the house was secure. It was getting dark out already, and with the sun going down, the temperature would plummet. He started a small fire in the fireplace. His cabin was small, warm, and cozy. The winter days in Washington were short and cold. The sun normally didn't come up until 0700 hours, and went down usually no later than 1600 to 1700 hours. It made the days short and the nights long. Thankfully, they were getting to the part of the year when the days started getting longer. He liked the night. It was a time he could relax and finally be himself. He hated always having to hide who he'd become. He enjoyed what he did. He had never felt so alive. He vaguely remembered his former life before the incident, before she had blown him up and had to be stopped, but in reality, she had unleashed his need to hunt. It made him feel powerful, in control, and better than ever. He knew he had to find ways to maintain normalcy, but really, was normal what he really wanted? He knew that was what society expected from him, but it no longer felt right. The doctors said that his head injury had caused damage to his cerebral cortex. They said he might experience impulse control and anger outbursts. Some of those things had happened at first, but now he had found out how to control them. He thrived off the high-risk environment he had created by hunting Sahar. He felt he had to do it to feel whole and satisfied, and she needed to be stopped. After the incident, he simply found it impossible to focus on anything but what needed to be done. He had once been good at connecting and keeping normal relationships, but ever since his traumatic brain injury, he simply didn't feel bad for what he was doing. It was a necessary evil when at war, and he had to finish what he'd started. The look of fear on their faces when he toyed with them and eventually killed them was like an itch he couldn't scratch. No matter how many times he did it, he wanted more. It consumed his every waking moment. He dreamed about it in vivid detail when he slept. He thought about it during the day, often having trouble focusing on the most mundane tasks. He often found himself visualizing his next kill while sitting in a meeting as the other military members droned on about the mission and all the other insignificant things that used to seem so important to him. It was interesting to think back to when he spent his days busying himself with mentoring others and furthering the mission. Now his days were filled with fantasies. Brutal sexual fantasies were always there. He tried to shut them out of his mind, but he was obsessed, and everything else seemed insignificant in comparison. Sahar crept into his thoughts. He thought her persona as Ali was stunning with her long, strong, shapely legs. The way she danced brought most men to their knees, begging for more. 
He wanted to see her beg for her life. He craved the feeling of power and fear in her eyes. He wanted to watch her when the realization and acceptance of her pending death settled on her face. The twisted expression of terror would make her features more enticing to him. He'd plunge his knife deep into her, but not enough to kill her, just to get her warm blood flowing. That was when they normally knew they were going to die. It was his favorite part. She would plead and try to appeal to his human side, but fail to realize it was too late. He had become something else entirely, a hunter, and she needed to be stopped. He would lick the blood from his fingers, enjoying the salty metallic taste it left in his mouth. She would watch him in horror, pleading for him to stop as all the others had. He would wrap his strong hands around her frail little neck, feel her gasp for air, press down until she lost consciousness, feel the life almost leave her body only to let up on his grip and watch her gasp and spit, trying to bring precious air back into her lungs. Just as she regained her ability to focus on him, he would slide the knife back into her warm skin, careful not to kill her. Before she lost full consciousness, he would enter her with the feel of her sticky warm blood against his chest as he squeezed her neck even tighter. The pain would be intense, and most would pass by then. But he hoped Allie would last longer. She was strong and would fight. He loved it when Sahar fought. It made him feel that much more powerful. When she gave up too easily, it left him feeling unsatisfied and wanting more. No, he knew Allie would fight him. There was absolutely nothing like it in the world. The most earth-shattering orgasms came from watching the life leave a woman's body. Her body was still warm and sticky underneath him even after she was dead. He couldn't get over the feeling, the rush it gave him. Being normal had become less and less sustainable. He had tried to be normal with Viv, but she'd known there was something off about him. He'd even had a hard time getting an erection if she wanted him. He'd needed her because she was his best source of information, and she was easy to control. After her marriage had fallen apart, she became easy to manipulate. She was so sappy and wanted so badly to please him. It made him physically ill, but she had served her purpose and given him the information he needed. She was also good at misdirecting others for him, even though she didn't realize it. For an OSI agent, she was awfully trusting, but that was to his advantage. Why not trust him? He was a respected member of the United States Air Force. He had earned that trust and certainly enjoyed using it to his own advantage. People never questioned his intentions, even if they should. He loved that feeling of power. One of his therapists had written a note that he feared his patient had become a narcissist, but he had actually become so much more. He licked his lips, thinking about how enjoyable Allie would be. He felt himself getting aroused just thinking about the life draining from her, the way her beautiful olive skin would start to turn a light tinge of blue, how her sensual lips would gasp for air, praying that someone would come to rescue her before it was too late. He knew no one would ever hear her scream or know where to find her. No one knew about his hiding place, and there was no way to hear her all the way out here. He went to his hiding place, pulled out his book again, and looked at the pictures of Allie, and then at Mac. The culmination of his masterpiece would be that beautiful creature that he would truly love devouring. He had begun to rub himself when an alarm went off, notifying him of an approaching vehicle. He jumped off the couch, frantically putting away his book. How had they found him? He ran to his monitors and saw his worst nightmare, 
a police SUV making its way up his driveway, shining a huge light on his property. His truck was sitting out front, so they had to know he was home. Deep breaths. Count. One, two, three. There was a knock at the door. The man glanced at himself in the mirror and tried to remain calm. Maybe it was nothing, or at least nothing to do with him. He splashed cold water on his face and yelled out, Just a minute! He slowly opened his front door, unlatching the three locks that hold it in place. Outside stood two men in uniform. One was tall and lanky, his partner shorter and stocky. Good evening, sir, the tall one said. What can I do for you this evening, officers? The man said in his most even, practiced tone. We're looking for a missing child that has wandered off from one of the rental cabins by the lake. Have you seen anything? The shorter officer said. No, I'm sorry, but it's been quiet here all night, the man replied, taking a deep breath and feeling relieved that they weren't here for him. The tall officer handed him a card. Please give us a call if you see a young boy. Thank you, officer. I will. The man closed and locked the door, feeling the sweat running down his back. Chapter 52 Having Hudson around ended up being much more pleasant than Mac originally thought it would be. He was helpful, or as much as he could be with his injuries. She'd feared it would take a lot of work to help him, but it didn't. He was getting around fairly well for the most part. He had a hard time opening things with his shoulder still bothering him, and he couldn't do anything terribly physical because his ribs were still healing, but overall he had proven to be quite self-sufficient. He'd even cleaned up after both of them a little. He would be on convalescent leave for a while longer and had nowhere to be, so he kept himself busy around her house, always greeting her with a smile when she returned from work. It had been a week since he'd been released from the hospital, and so far it had gone well. Mac was still at the chaplain's office, just helping where she could. She had finally talked with her attorney, Kibble, and he was running down the lead she had given him on Pratt. He agreed that she should not question him because the prosecution could easily twist it into tampering with a witness. She hadn't shared everything else that was going on because she wanted Kibble to focus only on her case and clearing her name. She had met with Stanton and walked him through the new evidence surrounding senior airman Terrell Johnson and her suspicions about a serial killer targeting women in the area. She gave him Joe's contact information and told him to reach out. She also told him about the possible connection to the murders in Coeur d'Alene and gave him Detective Zachariah Ward's contact information as well. Mac had decided to wait it out. It seemed like every time she got closer to the case, someone else got hurt. That wasn't to say she had given up, but between living with Hudson and having to report to work every day at the chaplain's office, she was staying busy. To her knowledge, no one else had gotten hurt. It was almost like the killer had gone dormant, at least for a bit. She had just arrived back home from work on a Friday afternoon to find Hudson out on her back porch leaning against the wall while two juicy steaks were grilling. She could see little blooms of cold air coming from his mouth. He had a huge jacket draped over his shoulders and had his jeans and combat boots on. It was freezing out. What on earth was he doing grilling this time of year? She laughed at the sight of him. His arm was still in a sling, so he had to set his beer down each time he tended the steaks. He looked relaxed and oh so sexy. He had let his beard grow out a little, and his hair was getting longer. She wasn't entirely sure what she liked better, but damn, he was hot no matter what he did. 
The way he looked up at her with that sexy grin when she came out to the back porch made her melt. She knew this couldn't last, but boy, was it enjoyable. She walked up to him and stood on her tiptoes to kiss him. You keep spoiling me this way, and I may never let you leave, she said, and swatted him on the ass. Promise? He grinned. He had never experienced a connection like this with a woman before. He had always felt alone, even when he was in previous relationships. Mac made him feel grounded and centered, like he was finally home. He felt he had found a piece of himself that he'd always been missing. He couldn't help himself. He knew he was falling for her. As much as he tried to push the thought from his mind, he couldn't deny the fact that he felt at peace with her. He just hoped she felt the same. Mac disappeared to change out of her uniform before dinner. She had no makeup on when she returned and wore a pair of old sweats and a frayed green t-shirt. Her dark hair was pulled back in a no-nonsense ponytail that made her look younger than he knew she was. And just like that, she took his breath away. He was staring at her long enough for her to become uncomfortable. What? she asked. Nothing. You're just beautiful, that's all, he replied with a grin. I see, she said, cocking her head to the side like a cute puppy would, trying to butter me up. What is it that you want exactly? All kinds of naughty things. We could start with a pair of handcuffs and a blindfold. He grinned wickedly, then walked over to her and caressed her cheek with his hand. He lowered his head to meet hers. In a low voice, he said, What do you say, Mac? You up for a little sexy time? She laughed. Only if you feed me first. So he did just that. He fed her a delicious steak and a perfectly cooked baked potato with just the right amount of sour cream, bacon bits, chives, cheese, and salt. He even served it with her favorite wine. It was the perfect meal. Being here with him seemed sublime. She wondered to herself if it was a little too perfect. Forever the pessimist, she contemplated their future and if he was truly too good to be true. No man had ever treated her this well. She really hated the thought of it coming to an end. She let herself think what it would be like if it didn't. What if they did stay together? She brushed the thought away. Things just didn't work out that way for her. She had tried a few times, but then she would do something stupid and sabotage the relationship, and the guy would run away with his tail between his legs. As he reached down and kissed her again, she thought it would sure be fun to enjoy this while it lasted. Even injured, he was the best lover she had experienced. Not that she had many to compare him to, but she wasn't a virgin either. He took his time. He was gentle and always ensured she was fully satisfied before he was done. He was a rare breed. They made love for hours. She had no idea how he kept up the stamina with broken ribs and a bum shoulder. His movements were limited without question, but he never disappointed. She sure could get used to this. She fell asleep, snuggled up next to him, careful not to press on his injuries. He made her feel safe and secure. It was the best sleep she ever remembered having. The sound of his breathing, his scent on her sheets, all had the effect of lulling her to sleep every night. Her dreams were filled with a fairy tale life that involved her and Hudson getting married and living in a pretty little house out in the country where they would raise their children. She woke the next morning with a smile on her face and a feeling of sadness about what would never be.
There's a secret once hidden, a treasure the ancients used daily. It's turmeric, the golden spice of life. In the heart of ancient India, this revered root was more than a culinary delight. It was a symbol of purity, a source of wellness. Novel Nutrition brings this secret to you with our fire supplement. Each fire gummy is a nod to those ancient traditions, harnessing the natural powerful anti-inflammatory and antioxidant benefits that have supported health and vitality for centuries. Nab your supply of Novel Nutrition's fire by clicking the link in the description and using code BOOKTV for a 20% discount. Read more. Live more. Be more. Chapter 53 Mac got ready for work and left Hudson sleeping. He had nowhere to be and still had a lot of healing to do. She thought he looked so peaceful lying there in her bed. She only had a queen, which didn't quite fit his mammoth body, but overall it did the job. He slept on his side since sleeping on his back caused him pain these days, and his feet hung slightly over the end of the bed. One large hand was over her side of the bed like he was searching for her in his sleep. Her morning was uneventful, and by mid-afternoon she was ready to head home. She wondered what Hudson was up to when her thoughts were pulled back to reality by her phone buzzing. She didn't recognize the number but answered it anyway. Hello? Granny San's sweet old voice came across the line. Mac, is that you? Yes, it's me. Is everything okay? Oh no, I'm worried sick. Don't you know? I haven't heard from Allie since last night. It's like she dropped off the face of the earth and is nowhere to be found. Okay, take a deep breath and tell me about when you last saw her. Okay, okay, so she left for work last night at about 6 p.m. to go to her job. You know, the one where she dances so she can go to med school? Poor girl. Yes, I know. Did you try to call her? Yes, I tried her cell and I called her work too, but they said she worked her shift and left. She's not due back in until tomorrow night. Granny said. I just know something has happened to her. I feel it in my bones, just like if she was one of my kids. That girl has been through enough. She needs someone to care for her. I'm on my way, Granny. Stay put and wait until I get there. Mac shot Hudson a quick text. Headed to CDA to check on Allie. Sorry for the last minute, but something is up. I'll keep you posted. She walked into Chaplain Bastion's office to ask if he minded her leaving early. He said he didn't, but would need her in the morning for an event at the chapel that he could use her help with. She thanked him and assured him she would be there bright and early. Cold air bitted her cheeks as she sprinted from the building to her SUV. She made a beeline to I-90 and headed to CDA. Her heart was racing, and she had to remind herself not to speed too much. She had always been a bit of a speed demon with a lead foot, but she couldn't afford another ticket, so she slowly let off the gas. It wouldn't help anything if she never made it. Her phone rang inside her little vehicle, giving her a much-needed distraction. Hudson's baritone came over the line. What do you mean you're checking on Allie? What's wrong? Not sure, she responded. Granny just said she was missing. I'm headed up there to see what I can find out. Do you have protection with you? Yes, I promise to be safe. Don't worry so much. Easier said than done, and you know it. There's a very real killer out there who might just try to go after you for meddling so much, he huffed. Come back and pick me up so I can come with you. You need backup. I'm already halfway there, and you need your rest. I'll be fine. I'm going straight to Granny's house, and then I'll report what I find to Zachariah Ward at the CDA Police Department. 
I promise to be careful. I'll check in as soon as I'm done. I might even be home by dinner. What are we having anyway? She asked as a way to distract him. Just get it done and come home. I'll come up with something here in the meantime. Sounds like a good deal, she said, and hung up before he could argue more. Her heart skipped a beat when Hudson referred to her place as home. She turned up the music on the stereo and sang along. It was something she often did to calm herself. Once she pulled into Granny's driveway, she cut the engine and the music only to find herself sitting in an eerie silence. She had a bad feeling about this and hoped it was nothing more than Allie meeting a guy and staying at his place. She was a grown woman, after all, and had a right to do as she pleased. Granny came out of the house looking worried and as though she hadn't slept. Oh, thank you for coming, Mac. Where is that handsome fella you're normally with? He wasn't able to make it. Any news from Ali? Nope, nothing new since we talked. Do you mind if I take a look around her place? Not at all, that would be just fine. Granny retrieved the spare key, then came back and let Mac into Allie's place. The two sides of the duplex were like night and day. Granny's side had an elderly lady feel, while Allie had furnished her place in bright, vibrant colors and dark woods that brought the small space to life. It reminded Mac of the macaws in Mexico. She loved the birds and found them enchanting. Mac carefully went through her home with Granny standing watch in the doorway. She asked Granny questions as she went, but nothing seemed out of the ordinary. There were medical books on the counters and takeout food menus in the kitchen, but nothing that would lead her to where Allie had gone. Mac was growing more concerned. Normally, if a person went missing, the first 24 hours were crucial to finding them. She hoped Allie was safe, but her gut told her otherwise. She thanked Granny for her help and told her that she would notify the police. Oh, hun, I already tried calling them, and they wouldn't listen to me. They kept saying that she probably ran off with some guy, but that's just not Allie's style. I know what she does for a living, but that's just logistics for her. She only does it to pay for her school. I know, Granny. Mac laid a hand on the old woman's shoulder. I believe you, and I intend to find her. I'll let you know as soon as I know something, she promised, and headed back to her car. 25 minutes later, she found herself at the CDA police department. As she got out of her SUV, her stomach growled loudly, and she realized she hadn't eaten for the better part of the day. She took a deep breath and headed into the station. At the front counter behind a protective wall of plexiglass sat a heavy-set, red-headed woman with a headset smashed into her wild hair. She was apparently talking with someone who was excited because her side of the conversation kept getting interrupted. She raised her finger, indicating that Mac should wait a moment. Mac sat down in the small area until the woman was done with her conversation. Yes, ma'am, what can I do for you? The woman finally asked. Hello, Alice, Mac read from the woman's name tag. I'm here to see Officer Ward. Is he available? Is he expecting you? Alice countered. <clears throat> no, ma'am, he's not, but I have something urgent to discuss with him. Could you please let him know I'm here? Mac asked, giving the woman her best smile. Mac had never been very good at kissing ass, but she was willing to try. Alice disconnected her headset, lifted her substantial frame out of the chair, and walked out of her small reception area through a door into the main bullpen of the police department. Mac had never met Zachariah in person and only talked to him on the phone. She had pictured him as a younger man who smiled a lot, but people never looked the way she thought they would.
Alice came back two minutes later with a tall, slim man with gray hair. Not at all what Mac was expecting. But then he smiled a smile that reached all the way to his eyes. Hi, you must be Mac. Joe has told me a lot about you. What brings you in today? I was just wondering if you had a few minutes to talk, she started, not wanting to blurt out that Ali was missing and she thought there was a serial killer on the loose who had abducted her. Sure, no problem. Why don't you follow me back to the conference room? She followed him through a maze of old gray cubicles and rows of open desks to a back conference room. The floors were a weird blue color that looked like they were 10 years past when they'd needed to be replaced. The conference room table was beaten up in multiple spots and was a few sizes too large for the room, pushing the chairs close to the walls. It was about what she had expected. The states rarely received good funding for their furnishing. There had been a lot of budget cuts throughout the years, and it showed. So, what can I do for you? He said as he sat down. Has Joe brought you up to speed concerning the multi-jurisdictional case that we've been looking into? She asked. I know some of it. He pulled a small beat-up green notebook from his jacket pocket and looked at his notes. I'm aware of the missing person's case of Liliana Broadsmith and, of course, the murder victim, Mrs. Elise Morrison. It's my understanding that Joe might have another case in his jurisdiction, Abigail something or another. Then there's your case on base. Zonira, I think. Okay, that basically covers it. I'm here today because Ali Ahmad, the sister of the murder victim on base, has gone missing. We think she might be the next victim of our serial killer, she said, holding her breath for a few seconds. I see, he said with a quizzical look on his face. Do you have any evidence to support your theory? She knew this was going to be an uphill battle. As a matter of fact, she didn't have any solid evidence. It was all circumstantial at best. She knew she had multiple women who were either missing or dead, and that they all looked the same, except for Viv. She was an anomaly, but the modus operandi was very similar. Viv's stab wounds appeared to be the same, and the strangulation was very similar to the photos of the other woman. Viv had had ties to the case and had met with Mac shortly before she was killed. Mac hated to think the killer had been watching her house and gone after Viv because she'd been there. She pushed the thought from her mind. Guilt would get her nowhere. She didn't believe in coincidence, and this case had way too many of them. She took a deep breath. Joe seems to believe in your theory, Zachariah said. But honestly, I don't currently have the resources to go hunting for a stripper that may or may not be kidnapped by a nut job and may or may not be in Idaho, let alone in my jurisdiction. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll get with Joe and see if we can locate the young woman in question. The problem with a multi-state case is that it requires us to bring in the FBI. Talk about slowing things down and muddying the waters. I'm pretty sure none of us want that. Mac didn't care what would be a good move from a jurisdictional standpoint. All she wanted was for someone to give a rat's ass about a missing young woman. She also knew she had zero authority to get anyone to do anything. Even if Ali had gone missing on base, there would be jurisdictional issues depending on whether the federal government wanted to investigate themselves or hand the case over to the locals. She felt herself getting frustrated and feared for Ali's safety. She figured he might play with her for a few hours before he killed her. If he felt safe, he might keep her alive even longer. But Mac hadn't nailed down the exact time frame he liked to keep them alive. It seemed like this guy was all over the map. He had dumped a body. There were two missing women they knew of, 
and then Viv's and Zonira's bodies were left at the scene. It really didn't make much sense. Most serial killers were ritualistic. They liked to kill a certain way and found comfort in following a specific killing regime. But she also knew that killers were not predictable. Each one she had studied had presented with their own interesting way of doing things. So, his actions only made sense if his time had been cut short with Viv and Zanira. Then there was Elise Morrison from CDA, whose body had been dumped in the woods and found by a hiker. She wasn't entirely sure if that case was related, but the woman had an unsettling resemblance and the same wound pattern. Max stood and thanked Officer Ward for his time and assistance. He promised to get with Joe and check things out. He said if they had enough evidence between the two of them to get the FBI to come, then he would make the call. She knew his hands were tied, but still felt disappointed. Joe would be in the same boat. A multi-state investigation required the FBI's involvement without question, and there was really no way around it. Shoulders slumped, she left deflated. Quick pause in our story to remind you about novel nutrition. Enhance your reading sessions with our bespoke supplements. See if you can figure out which blend is our favorite. Oh, and just for Book TV listeners, use code BOOKTV at NovelNutrition.co for a special 20% discount. Now let's return to our story. Chapter 54 Max sat in her SUV in the parking lot, unsure of what to do next, so she called her sister. Lola was the only person she knew who could track someone anywhere in the world. Lola answered on the first ring. Hi, sis, how've you been? I'm good. I miss you, Mac responded. Miss you too. I ran those prints through all state databases and didn't get a hit. I'm working on hacking into the military databases to run it as we speak. Thanks. I appreciate you looking into that. I have another favor. Mac trailed off. I was wondering if you could ping a cell phone for me. Well, here I thought you had a challenge for me. Lola chirped with a follow-up of swift clicking on her keyboard. What's the number and general area? Mac rattled off Allie's number. I think she's either in Idaho or Washington somewhere, she said, unsure if that would make tracing too difficult. So, the phone is no longer on, but it last pinged near Newman Lake right before the Idaho border. If you follow Highway 290 to North Idaho Road, then onto East Moffat Road, you should be close. Wow, that's amazing. Is there any way to find out what kind of homes or cabins are out there to give me a little more direction? Mac asked, hopefully. Let me see what I can do and I'll call you back. Be safe. Do you have your gun? Lola asked. Of course, never leave home without it. Hey, don't go alone, okay? Yeah, that. Don't worry, I'm not going to engage. I just want to see if I can find any clues. I'll be fine, I promise. She hung up and put her SUV into gear. She wasn't exactly sure what she was looking for, but figured it wouldn't hurt to go check things out. It was like finding a needle in a haystack. Once she got out by Newman Lake, she would probably lose cell service as well. Parts of the lake were densely wooded, and technology wasn't used in the deep woods. She headed that way. She certainly didn't hold out any hope of finding any clues, but her concern for Allie's safety drove her to look. The fact that her cell phone had pinged near Newman Lake didn't mean a whole lot. She might have gone out for a little getaway and forgotten to tell Granny. On the other hand, what 22-year-old would turn off their cell phone? On the way there, she was careful to maintain her speed. 
Navigating back across the Washington state line, she turned off the highway and made her way into the wooded area where her sister had told her was the phone's last known location. As she toured the lake, more farms came into view. The road curved like a large snake winding back and forth. She slowed down to a crawl. In parts of the road, the dense woods blocked out most light. She crept along, not wanting to slide on the ice. The roads were not terribly well-maintained back here. If she had to guess, the locals oversaw this part of the lake. She passed a small grouping of houses that jutted out on the lake. They were stacked almost on top of each other, and she wondered why people wanted to live like that. Her tires slipped a little heading down a steep part of the winding road, and again as she tried to stop at a stop sign where the road stopped giving her the option to go right or left. She figured it best to stay near the lake and took a left. A little farther down, where there were fewer houses and home to little more than deer and other wildlife, she saw a lump on the side of the road. It appeared to be a bag of some kind, but with the snow piled up around it, it was hard to tell. She pulled up and got out to see what it was. She slid on her winter gloves just to be on the safe side. The bag had been tossed at some point, and the contents had spilled out on the road. She crouched down to inspect them, not wanting to disturb anything. There was a red tube of lipstick, a silver compact, and a small black brush. Next to that, sticking halfway out of the bag, was a leather animal print wallet. She held her breath as she opened the wallet and found the bill holder full of ones. Her pulse increased as she flipped the wallet the rest of the way open to see Ali's beautiful face, smiling back at her from her driver's license photo. She pulled out her cell phone and sent a text to Hudson and Joe. The message lingered for a moment but then came back with an error message saying it couldn't be delivered. She kicked herself for not giving them her location. How the hell did Allie's bag end up on the side of the road? Had he ditched it so that no one could track her phone? Or had she tossed the bag hoping someone would find it and then find her? Either way, it was a good clue. And Mac was happy that she was in the right place. But where to now? Guilt gripped her for not trying harder to get Allie to leave the area until this guy had been caught. As stubborn as Allie was, it probably wouldn't have made a difference. But if she'd had tried harder, then maybe, just maybe, Allie would be safe right now. If she had gone to stay with a friend, this might not have happened. Shoulda, coulda, woulda wasn't getting her anywhere. She cleared her mind and listened. It was a beautiful area, serene and quiet. She could hear nature all around her, birds chirping, small woodland creatures scurrying about. For what seemed like a long time, she heard nothing else. And then there was something. It sounded like someone was chopping wood, maybe a tree. And then she heard the unmistakable high-pitched scream of a woman cutting through the forest. She couldn't tell exactly what direction it had come from. Mac was starting to shake so badly from the cold that she was having a hard time keeping her teeth from chattering in her head. She quickly collected all of Allie's things, hoping she would be able to return them soon that Allie would still be alive. She went back to her SUV and climbed in, grateful for the warmth that lingered there. She started it back up and hesitated. She checked her phone and tried to resend the text message with no luck. Finding her courage, she pulled her gun out of the glove box, made sure it was fully loaded, and put it in the passenger seat. She put the car in gear and began to creep down the road, looking for anything that would give her a clue to Allie's location. As she rounded the corner, she saw a long dirt road almost resembling a trail jutting off the main road. 
There was the distinct impression of fresh vehicle tracks leading there. A few signs warned passersby. No trespassing in private drive. Welcoming place, she thought. She stayed there idling for what seemed like a long time, not sure if the little road would lead to anything or if she was wasting precious time. She took a chance, angling her SUV down the path. It turned out to be a long driveway. There was a cabin up ahead, but she could only see a corner of it. Darkness was beginning to engulf her surroundings. On the off chance that she was in the right place, she didn't want to alert anyone to her presence. She was fairly certain that the scream had come from this direction. Mac tucked her little SUV between the trees off the road. She hoped the owner of the place hadn't seen her. If she was in the right place, giving him advance notice wouldn't be in her best interest. If she was in the wrong place, then she could easily get shot for trespassing. She sat there for a moment, debating whether she should turn back to get help. If she drove back to the main road in range of cell service, she could get back up. But would Ali still be alive by then? If that was her screaming, then it could already be too late. A large crashing sound came from the cabin. Her mind was made up. She exited her SUV. She owed it to Allie to try and help. Her breath escaped from her mouth, crystallizing in front of her in little puffs of fog. She tried to relax, but her body was so tense that her muscles ached. Partially from the cold, mostly from sheer fear. Chapter 55 The man watched Mac approach the house and felt a large grin spread across his face. Fortune favors the prepared mind, he thought, as the motion sensors alerted him to her every move. He could just sit back and watch those beautiful huge eyes, terrified in the dark. He absently wondered what she was doing out here with no backup. This day just couldn't get any better. It seemed his prey was just coming to him on their own. Earlier that morning, around 0200 hours, he had found Ali getting off work, ripe for easy picking. It was almost like she was waiting for him, gift-wrapped, a toy for him to play with. She went out to her car without her gun or any other protection on her. She'd barely even put up a fight, not that she was any match for him, but he had expected more. It didn't take long. He had simply crouched down in the back seat of her car. It was a little red Nissan Versa that had simple locks to pick. At first, he didn't think he could hide in the back because it was so small. But once he got in, he was pleasantly surprised at how roomy it really was. Then she came out in all her stunning beauty, but with the club's bouncer in tow. He was a gentleman and walked her to her car, probably hoping to get a little action. Funny. He'd done the same thing with Sahar the first time they met. She was clearly up to her old tricks. He crouched down and flattened himself against the back seat. He figured the bouncer would see him. He waited, holding his breath, not wanting to alert the big goon that there was someone in her car. The bouncer was huge, standing at least six foot four and looked more like a walking building than a man. His proficiency in hand-to-hand -hand combat would help, but it would be difficult to take down a man that size. He himself was not so small, but he wasn't as young as he used to be, and over the years his body had taken a beating. They approached her car and the man slipped down even lower, hoping to go undetected. He slowed his breathing. Thankfully, the parking lot was very dark and it was hard to see anything inside the vehicle. He hoped that would work to his advantage. He couldn't believe it. It must have been his lucky night. 
The overgrown ape was too busy looking at Allie to notice his surroundings. The man could have probably sat straight up in the back seat and the ogre wouldn't have even noticed. Allie smiled at the big man and thanked him for walking her to her car. She pushed the key fob to unlock the car and let herself in. She sat in the driver's seat, turning over the engine. She had to wait while her windshield cleared so she could drive. The bouncer stood outside her car for a few seconds and then realized he was dismissed and walked back toward the club. She locked the doors just in case and waited. She was rubbing her hands together, trying to keep warm while the little car slowly began the thawing process. As it did, she relaxed back into her seat. It would still be a few more minutes before she could safely drive home. She was very happy that she had paid the extra money for the model with the heated seats. It made all the difference in the world when waiting for the rest of the car to thaw. She had a remote start, but for some reason it had stopped working long ago, so she waited. When he felt certain that no one else would disturb them, he sat up in the back seat. She caught his reflection in her rearview mirror. Her eyes widened with fear, giving him an instant erection. God, she was beautiful. She looked even more stunning when she was terrified. He watched her curiously. She seemed to be frozen in place, unable to move. He wrapped his arm around her chest to keep her immobile. With one practiced motion, he lifted the syringe to her neck and injected midazolam. He liked the drug because it was fast acting and didn't have a ton of side effects. He had messed it up a few times trying to figure out the right drug to use and the right dose, but he had finally perfected it. He knew if he used any more than two to three milliliters, things wouldn't go well, especially for a woman as small as Allie. As the injection went into her neck, she reached up and scratched across his forearm. He muffled a growl and pulled his hand away, but it was too late for her. The drug was already taking effect. Her eyes were drooping, and within a few short seconds, she was resting her head against the steering wheel. The man was very pleased with himself. He loved the thrill of the chase. It reminded him of being in Afghanistan and running down the enemy. He missed the thrill of that life though he did like the creature comforts this world allowed him. There was simply nothing better than taking the time to slowly kill rather than the rushed jobs they were afforded overseas. He hadn't always enjoyed it this much, but deep down he knew there had always been this part of him lingering. He absently wondered what would happen when Sahar was finally stopped for good. The doctors and psychiatrists talked about all these crazy acronyms that were supposed to explain why he felt the way he did. PTSD and TBI were their buzzwords. They told him he might have trouble with his altered mental state, but he wasn't having any trouble at all. He was focused and knew what had to be done. He had found his true calling. It was funny how things worked out. They had done a medical evaluation board on him, and they had all reviewed his records. He thought it was going to be the end of his career. He really hadn't minded that much other than knowing finding a new job would be a hassle. He knew how to be an airman, and he was really good at faking how to be a good military member. He had been relieved as they did their thing. They returned him to duty and coded him not to deploy again. He knew that meant he was on borrowed time, but he was okay with that. It just gave him more time to play and perfectly covered up the need to find her. He might have gotten caught if he had been put into an unfamiliar situation where he couldn't easily navigate how to act or speak. He had been raised in the military from the young age of 18. 
It was all he knew, and he certainly knew how to get people to think what he wanted them to. He gently moved Ali from the driver's seat to the passenger seat. He even buckled her in place before taking her to his home. She was out cold for longer than she was supposed to be. Maybe he had misjudged the dose. After all, she was a small woman. He checked her pulse a few times as they drove. For her to die too soon would just not do. He had plans for this one, questions that needed answered. He wondered what he would do after he was done. Maybe he would retire and go somewhere warmer to kill. There were plenty of bad people out there that needed to be stopped. Plus, it was hard to dig graves when the ground was always frozen. Florida sounded nice. He had put his time in and deserved a little break. Plus, all the tourists out there would provide plenty of enticing opportunities to rid the world of nasty people. His mouth watered just thinking of the beautiful women in skimpy clothing waiting for him. Chapter 56 Hudson paced around Mac's house like a caged animal. She had been gone for too long, and her phone just kept going straight to voicemail. It was now dark outside as he watched little snowflakes fall from the sky. He wasn't sure what to think, but he knew something was wrong. His body ached from the tension and injuries he had recently sustained. In all actuality, he should be dead instead of just banged up a bit. He paced back and forth and then picked up the phone and dialed Joe. Any word? Was all he said when Joe picked up. No, nothing. Do you have any idea where she might have gone? No, she just said that she was going to check on Ali. But I called Granny Sans, and she said that Ali had been missing and never came home from work last night, and that Mac had gone to the CDA police department to file a report. Yeah, Nathaniel told me about her visit. He called me earlier and said Mac came by convinced that there was a serial killer on the loose working in both Washington and Idaho. We discussed the case, but there's little to no evidence supporting her theory. We're both looking into the cases, but we certainly don't have enough to get the FBI involved in a multi-state manhunt. We aren't even completely sure that the missing women, including Ali, are related. Obviously, they all look alike, but that's the only connection we see at the moment. Ali could have met a guy and gone off to have a little fun, not realizing she had worried her neighbor. So what you're saying is there's no sign of her since she left the CDA police department over two hours ago? Hudson asked in desperation. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I put out an APB on her SUV with instructions to notify me if anyone sees her. But other than that, we have to just wait. Okay, thanks for your help, Joe. I'll let you know if I hear from her. Don't worry so much. If anyone can take care of herself, it's Mac. She's one of the most badass women I've ever met. Consider yourself lucky. I'm sure she can handle whatever it is she's gotten herself into. Joe hung up. Mac reminded Joe of his ex-wife, Eli. She had also been a cop. He missed her and was still determined to get her back one day. She was a one-of-a-kind woman. He had tried to date other women, but no one compared to Eli. He kicked himself daily for the stupid decisions he had made back then. He had been working undercover on a trafficking case involving young women who were being plucked off the streets by a sadistic man. They were being shipped in crates and sold overseas to the highest bidder. Some of the young women were not women at all. They were just girls. Most of them were over 18, but some of them weren't. It made Joe's stomach turn every time he thought about that case. He had been working with another detective who was also undercover. She was supposed to get picked up for sale as one of the girls. They spent so much time together that his judgment got clouded, 
and he ended up sleeping with his partner. Eli never forgave him and probably never would. All he could do was hope she came back to him one day. That had been one of the most challenging times of his life. It was the same case where he'd found out his partner was dirty. Hudson continued to pace. He thought about eating something to distract himself, but he just wasn't hungry. At this rate, he would wear a hole in her floor. Joe had been right. He felt like a very lucky man. Mac was a rare breed, and he didn't think he would find another woman like her. Just thinking about her brought him comfort and warmth. She was out there and could be in danger. He was working himself into an unhealthy state. He had to think, as she did. What did they know about the case? If he could figure out how to solve the case, then he could possibly find her. He stopped pacing and tried to clear his head. Worrying wasn't going to get him anywhere. He needed to focus. He went back into her little office and started pulling together everything she had on the case. There were pictures of all the known and suspected victims. She had autopsy reports of each of the dead victims. Hudson wondered how on earth she had gotten a hold of those. It didn't really matter. He started organizing them and poring over every report. Each one of the victims had the same type of stab wound. It appeared the murderer favored a particular knife. They all showed forced sexual activity prior to death, but no semen or other identifying fluids were left behind. Each victim was first stabbed, then strangled with large hands. In most of the cases, the coroner had said that the stab wounds and the strangling could both be considered the cause of death, but it was inconclusive as to which one caused the victim to pass first. Hudson felt sick to his stomach as he read. There were no reported fingerprints left behind, no hair or skin. Who on earth could do this to another human being? Then he began to wonder how he could do this to someone and not leave any DNA behind. He thought about it for a while. How could someone get away with not leaving DNA behind everywhere he went? The obvious way would be to cover your body and then dispose of everything once the job was complete. That could certainly be it. But how did that lead him anywhere? Hudson was deep in thought when his phone started to buzz on the kitchen counter. He picked it up without even looking at who was calling. Hudson, he boomed into the phone. A sweet voice came over the line. It almost sounded musical. Hi, Hudson. You don't know me. I'm Mac's sister, Lola. He didn't say anything for a few moments. He hadn't even known Mac had a sister and berated himself for not asking her more questions. Hudson, are you there? This is important, Lola said. Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, I didn't even know Mac had a sister. You just caught me off guard. What can I do for you? Hudson was intrigued, but also distracted and feeling impatient. He wanted to get back to finding Mac, but then he wondered just how much her sister knew about what was happening. There's a lot about Mac that you don't know, but that's for later. Right now, I'm worried about Mac. Agreed. What do you know? He said more forcefully than he meant to. Sorry, I'm also worried. What I meant was, how much do you know about what's going on with your sister? Much more than you might think. I've been tracking this case with her since day one. I'm the one that provided her with all the information that she has on the case, like the autopsy reports that you've been looking at all afternoon. He became very aware of his surroundings. How on earth could you possibly know what I've been doing all afternoon? That's not important, she snapped. I need you to focus. I gave Mac coordinates to where Allie's phone last pinged, and I haven't heard from her since, and now Mac's phone is out of range as well. 
I need you to find her. As beat up as you are, you may want to bring backup. Mac tried to get the local authorities involved, but they blew her off. Do you know anyone that can help? Did her cell ping in Washington State? He asked, thinking of the jurisdictional issues. Yes, out at Newman Lake, she said, and rattled off the location she had given Mac. Thank you, Lola. I have someone that I think can help. Could you do me one more favor? It could be difficult. Anything to find my sister. Could you run property records against every active duty military member that works on Fairchild and tell me who has property out on Newman Lake? She didn't say anything for a few seconds. I'm sorry. It just sounded like you had some killer skills, he said. And I thought you had a challenge for me, she shot back. He smiled. He liked her already. Thanks, Lola. If I find her, can I call you at this number? Yeah, keep me posted. I'll send the data to your phone. Touch base with me before you leave cell coverage. It should be approximately 20 to 30 minutes before you get to the lake. Will do. He thanked her, hung up the phone, and called Joe. Chapter 57 Max's boots crunched in the snow as she made her way up to the small cabin. It was getting harder to see, so she slowed her pace to take in her surroundings. The trees towered over her head, covered in thick snow. It was deeper out here than in town, but someone had taken the time to clear the driveway. The dirt showed through on the drive, but thick snow still covered the ground under most of the trees. It would have been much easier to walk on the dirt driveway and not sink in, but she wanted to be careful to approach undetected since she wasn't sure what to expect. It was quite beautiful. She wished she was here on a different matter. It would be nice to get away from town and stay in a place like this from time to time. She got the feeling that much more ominous things happened in this house that didn't involve the thoughts running through her head, like long afternoons of sex and relaxation. She thought about Hudson and regretted not letting him know where she was going. All she could do was hope that her phone would pick up a signal at some point and her text would go through. She knew she was in over her head, but there was no turning back now. If she did, Allie might die, and Mac just couldn't live with that on her conscience. She already felt guilty about not insisting on more protection for Allie. She had seen the danger, yet chose not to push. The man was enjoying the view. Mac was very cautious as she approached. She couldn't see the cameras. They were tucked deep within the trees. He thought about what to do with her. He had never had two people to kill at the same time. He had kept Ali alive so that he could play with her for a while. He wanted answers and was in no hurry with this one, and now he was happy with his decision. Maybe, just maybe, he could figure out which one was Sahar and then maybe have a little fun. He got a little excited thinking about the things he could make them do to each other. He had always liked girl-on-girl -girl porn, especially the rough stuff where one of the women was slapping or whipping the other. After all, if one of them was really Sahar, then she owed him. He wondered if he should do Mac or Ali first. Not at the same time. That would be too quick. It would have to be Allie first. The more he thought about it, the more he was convinced that Mac was supposed to be his, since she was obviously Sahar. He wanted her to watch and see what happened to bad people who blew other people up. He knew she was there to finish him off, but that wasn't going to happen. He imagined the fear in her eyes, knowing she was next. He wouldn't rush it. He needed to take his time with them to make sure they both lasted long enough. If he rushed, it wouldn't be as satisfying, and he needed to be satisfied. 
He needed to make her pay. It might help him stop for a little while. That would be good. He could retire. He had thought about selling this place. But then there was the matter of his garden of bodies in the backwoods. Would someone be able to locate them? It would lead back to him if they did. That was a problem for another day. Now he had things to do. He licked his lips and rubbed his hands together, anticipating. He couldn't wait to see the look on Mac's face when she realized who he was. He smiled again to himself. He thought about Allie, tied up and beautiful. He could hear her whimpering and thought about her dark almond eyes. He had been careful to use a soft cotton rope he'd learned about on a bondage website. It left fewer marks, and it was cheap and very hard to trace because it could be bought almost anywhere or ordered online. Either way, it was very common and easy to replace if he used it all up. He knew now that she wasn't the one, but he had to take her. She had seen too much. Mac's teeth were chattering. She was dressed in warm clothes, but with the sundown, the temperature was plummeting. She ran her tongue across her lips absently, and the spit instantly froze in place. The cold was even seeping into her boots because she'd spent so much time with them buried in the snow. She mentally kicked herself for not fully preparing for this. She was making her way around a house and not even sure if she was in the right place. She peered inside a bedroom with nothing in it. She kept a low profile as she came around the corner of the house and found an office lined with monitors. But they were blank, and the window was locked. Her hair was starting to freeze to her head, and her ears were starting to burn from the cold. She moved to the south side of the little cabin and looked into a tiny room. The window was higher than the others, and she had to go up on her tiptoes to see in. She gasped. There was Allie tied up to a bed. The door to the room was closed, and it appeared to be otherwise unoccupied. Mac took a deep breath, thankful she had finally located her and that she was alive. Allie appeared mostly unharmed, aside from her bindings. Mac tried the window and was relieved that it slowly slid open. Not sure what to expect, she reached down and touched her gun that was strapped to her side. Feeling reassured, she tried hoisting herself up to the window. There was no way she was going to pull this off. Her stretched out body barely brought her high enough to reach the window. And although she had good upper body strength, she didn't have the right leverage. Okay. She looked around the property behind her and found an old stump. That will do, she thought. With some difficulty, she pulled the stump over to the window and climbed up on it. She carefully pulled up on the window, hoping the stump below her feet would stay in place and she wouldn't make too much noise. With some difficulty, she hoisted herself up and launched her body through. She landed on the other side with a soft thump, grateful for the carpet that muffled the sound. Allie was looking at her with wild, frightened eyes. Of course she has to be terrified, Mac thought. Allie started shaking her head violently. She walked over to comfort Allie and put a hand on her arm to calm her down when the lights went out in the room. Mac froze for a few seconds and listened. She pulled her gun from its holster, hoping her eyes would adjust to the darkness. It was no use. It was pitch black. She tried to remember her training. I'm enjoying this just a little too much, he thought to himself. But then again, life was short, and he really needed to stop and smell the roses. He breathed in deeply, enjoying the scent of fear in the air emanating from both Ali and Mac, his pretty little flowers. Then, he silently picked up a book from a side table and threw it on the floor about ten feet to his left. Her gun immediately trained on the sound. 
Stop where you are or I'll shoot, Max said, facing to the left of him. He came a little closer. He could hear her breaths, rapid and short, as he slid on his thermal imaging glasses. They were the coolest things. It amazed him what could be found on the internet. He could see the heat signature of her body as she slowly moved around the room. The anticipation was so inviting. He almost couldn't help but reach out and touch her warm skin. He put his hand forward and stopped within inches. She was so beautiful and made just for him. He had known that for a long time. He had brought her in and made her feel special. He promoted her career and helped her make rank. Because of him, she had been a rising star until he decided to take it all away with the drug charges. It was fun to watch her wither and squirm as all credibility and support left her. She was getting entirely too cocky for her own good. Everyone needed to be humbled from time to time, and now he was certain she was Sahar in disguise. Her mentor had told her to use all her senses during an attack. Breathe in and breathe out. Her heart slowly began to regulate. She took in a deep breath, trying to use her sense of smell and hearing to locate him. She shut her eyes, trying to concentrate when she heard a movement to her left. Hey. He stepped back to make sure she didn't sense his presence. He needed this to last so he could find out why she had blown him up. A shot rang out in the dark and grazed his shoulder, ripping through his flesh. He screamed out in pain, not expecting her to be able to hit him in the dark. He had clearly underestimated her. He quickly spun on his heels and extended one long arm into a fist that connected with her beautiful face. He heard a loud thump as her body hit the floor. He took off his glasses and turned on the lights. Mac lay on the floor, a large bruise forming across her cheekbone and temple. He had hit her harder than he'd meant to. He looked down at his arm where blood was seeping down his dark shirt. He stuck his finger in the blood and then placed it in his mouth. The metallic taste of warm blood, even his own, sent shivers down his spine. He smiled down at Mac. She was without question, worthy of being his final masterpiece. Now he could see that she had always been Sahar. He didn't know how, but he knew it made sense. The man moved around the room while Allie watched silently, feeling hopeless. He lifted Mac onto the queen-sized bed next to her squirming body and methodically tied each limb to the bed frame, making sure not to cut off circulation or let the ropes dig in too tight. He liked them to be unblemished when he played with them. He ran a finger across the bruise on Mac's face. He was sorry she had caused it to be there, but sometimes these things couldn't be helped. He checked each rope three times, making sure they were secure. He moved to Allie, checked her ropes to ensure she remained secure, and removed the tape from her mouth. It hurt like hell when he pulled it off, but to her credit, she didn't scream. She simply flinched when he ripped it off and then lay in silence looking at him. He wondered if she had accepted her fate. Some of his victims fought to the end, and others were like Ali. They just waited for things as they came, accepting their inevitable torture and death. He enjoyed the ones who fought more. He thought Mac would fight, which would be a nice contrast to Ali's compliance. Chapter 58 Hudson drove faster than he should have in his new truck. The insurance company worked quickly to replace it. Thank goodness for USAA and their quick turnaround. He got the same large four-door Chevy Silverado, but this one was a three-fourth ton in silver with a three-inch lift and larger tires. 
He liked the badass look of the truck and didn't want to wreck it during his first couple of days of ownership. The road was slick from the cold weather, and the temperature had dropped after the sun went down. Next to him sat Joe, who reminded him for probably the tenth time to slow down. We won't be able to save anyone if we're dead. Now slow down. We still have to wait for Lola's call anyway. Hudson slowed his truck to a less insane speed and took a few deep breaths. They took the exit off the highway onto the two-lane road that led out to the lake. Little snowflakes fell on the windshield one by one. The sky looked ominous with its pregnant clouds stuffed full of precipitation, ready to unload its winter wonderland. Hudson quietly prayed that the weather would hold out for them. It would make navigating the back roads and seeing fresh tire tracks by the lake much easier. Nothing could be done to help the cold wind biting his cheeks, but he could certainly hope for the rest. Hudson had brought the case files with him. He'd figured he'd need something to distract his mind while they waited. He had tried to call Lola several times, but the number she'd called from went straight to a voicemail that wasn't set up. He was willing to wait a little longer, but then he was going in to see if he could find them. He was afraid that if he gave that psychopath any more time, it wouldn't end well for either lady. It might already be too late. He couldn't think of that. They sat on the side of the road, waiting. Hudson checked his gun and Joe looked at him. You realize you're a civilian here and have no jurisdiction over this case. If you discharge your weapon, there could be serious consequences. I know, but I can't just sit here while Mac and Ali could be in trouble. I know there are no absolutes, but I'll just have to handle that one when it comes my way. I promise to do my best not to shoot the bastard. I'm happy to let you have that honor so long he's stopped, and we get the ladies back alive and safe. That sounds fair enough. So what do we know about this guy, Joe said, as a way of distracting Hudson. He was getting fidgety and the big guy was making him nervous. He had known Hudson for a long time and had never seen him this way about anyone, not even his ex-wife. Mac must have really gotten under his skin. He thought about Eli and what he would do if she were in danger. Yup, pretty much the same thing. Go in with guns blazing. We know he likes asphyxiation and stabbing while sexually raping his victims. We think he has a certain type, and we think there are at least five victims, three dead and two missing, not to mention Mac and Ali, who we hope are not currently being held by him. Hudson said him like it was a dirty word. Okay, so other than that, Joe went on, seeing Hudson getting agitated again. We know he owns a dark truck. That might help us locate him as we work our way through the lake properties but that could be any number of lake residents. You know how many people drive trucks in this part of the country? The skin between Hudson's eyes knitted together in frustration. True, but you never know what could break this case wide open. Some of my guys were out here looking for a missing child a couple of days back. They found the kid lost in the woods, but they came across a cabin tucked back down a long drive while they were searching the woods. They knocked on the guy's door and the guy that answered looked all disheveled and was breathing hard. The more seasoned of the two cops said that the guy at the cabin made the hair on the back of his neck stand on end. The guy didn't do anything wrong, it was just a gut feeling. The guy was older and had a military haircut. After Lola calls, why don't we check that place out first? What the hell, Joe, why didn't you lead with that? That has to be the place. Lord only knows what that creep is doing to them. Shouldn't we wait for Lola? Nah, but Hudson answered him by putting the truck in gear and hitting the gas. As they moved toward the lake, 
Joe saw his cell service disappear. He was worried about bringing a civilian in without backup, but he also understood that their evidence was circumstantial at best, and honestly, he would do anything for Hudson. They had been like brothers for a long time, and more than once, Hudson had had his back in some nasty situations. He'd even stayed with him when his ex-wife had left, and he'd drunk himself into a stupor, almost losing his job. It was pitch black outside now, and there was no light along the road. Hudson put on his brights so they wouldn't get into an accident. He had to bring the truck's speed to a minimum because the road snaked around the lake, switching this way and that. It wasn't just the back and forth, but the steep inclines and low dips. There were parts of the road that were particularly treacherous because of large overgrown pine trees that blocked the sun from thawing during the day. With no guardrails, one false move could send his truck tumbling down a steep incline. Hudson's instincts told him to speed because his gut told him time was short and he feared the worst. But Joe was right. Dead people couldn't save anyone. Chapter 59 The fog in Mac's head slowly began to fade. It felt like a jackhammer was pounding behind her eyes. She closed and opened them several times with no change. It was so dark in the room that she couldn't even make out shapes. She could feel a softness under her back and legs. Her mind was reeling, trying to remember where she was. She tried to pull one of her arms down, only to have it jerked back into place by the rope attaching her to the headboard. Panic began to grow when she realized she was tied to a bed. Her hands and feet were completely immobile. She closed her eyes again, trying to remember what had happened. It all came crashing down on her at once. She recalled seeing Allie in the house strapped to the bed and hoisting herself through the window. She thought she'd shot him, but wasn't sure if she had imagined that or not. Her mind felt cloudy, but she was pretty sure she had. The side of her face still ached from the shiner across her cheek. Her sense of panic was getting the better of her as she began to hyperventilate. There was movement next to her that helped her calm and listen. He must have tied them both to the bed. Containment made sense. It would be easier to control both women if they were together and restrained. She inwardly cringed as she realized she could no longer feel her gun pressed against the side of her body. In her head, she slowly counted. She would be no use to either of them in the midst of a panic attack. Carefully, she moved her wrists back and forth to see if there was any way to loosen the ropes. They didn't seem tight or rough, and they weren't cutting off full circulation. She had a little tingling feeling in her fingers from her hands being suspended above her head. The rope must be soft and not tied too tight. That's a good thing, she thought. Softer ropes would sometimes loosen easier and wouldn't leave terrible marks. She tried to think positively as she wiggled her feet back and forth to loosen the ropes. After a few moments, she realized that the more she pulled, the more the ropes tightened against her skin. Unfortunately, he had tied the rope with a slip knot that would just keep getting tighter the more she struggled. So she changed tactics. Ali, she asked softly. I'm here, Ali answered in a whisper. Thank you for coming for me. Sorry he ended up getting you too. We aren't done yet. There's still hope. Allie didn't answer for a long time. And then she asked, what's the plan? I don't know yet, Mac admitted. What do you know about him? You've been here longer. Have you seen his face? Can you describe him to me? Allie thought for a moment. He's over six feet tall with dark hair, 
He looks to be about in his 40s, but it's hard to tell. His eyes are a dead blue gray. They looked right through me like I was a piece of furniture rather than a human being. It was super creepy. Mac encouraged her to continue. Did he do anything that stands out to you? He checks everything three times. He's methodical about it. When he was tying you up, he checked each of your ropes three times. He always checks the locks three times. Weird, right? Yeah, definitely interesting. He could be suffering from obsessive compulsive disorder, probably brought on by anxiety or stress, Mac thought. Many times, obsessive thoughts were hard to control for someone suffering from OCD. It was an interesting disorder and one that she had learned about in her studies. She thought about how she could use it to her advantage. Nothing automatically came to mind. Still, it was good to have as much information as possible to defeat the enemy. He walked into the room and flicked on the lights, and all of that optimism went out the window. Her mind went blank, and she froze. He stood there staring down at her. She couldn't speak, couldn't breathe. All the blood drained from her face, and she felt lightheaded. The man who stood before her was all too familiar. He had been her mentor and very much like an older brother. He had helped her when she needed it and helped to promote her career along the way. Her mind argued that this simply couldn't be right. There was no way this could be the killer. It simply didn't make sense. She stared at him, barely breathing. But the longer she looked, the more she could see the cold deadness that lived in his eyes. She remembered his eyes being kind and warm. Now they looked uncaring. No, that wasn't quite right. They were almost inhuman. She worked to regulate her breathing. Panicking right now wasn't going to solve anything. The shock began to wear off, replaced by anger. She was furious that he had deceived her this entire time. Her leader, mentor, and friend. She felt stupid for not seeing it and also betrayed. How could she have been so blind? The security force's chief master sergeant stood there looking full of himself. Whether he was somehow pleased with the situation or himself, she wasn't sure. Sick bastard, she thought. What the hell, Chief Delion, was all she could think to say. Allie whimpered softly next to her. At first, she thought Allie was just afraid of the monster standing before them, but then she realized Chief was holding a rugged-looking hunting knife. You're a highly decorated Chief Master Sergeant in our United States Air Force with 27 years of service. What the hell happened to you, Mac demanded. He smiled at her with an ugly glint in his eyes and a grimace on his face. You know, Mac, he said calmly in his deep voice that echoed in the small cabin. I think you know what you did to me. When I was blown up in Afghanistan, everything became clear. I finally know what makes me feel whole, and now it's time for you to pay for what you've done. Mac stared at him, completely confused. Before, I always thought I needed power and prestige, which is why I worked so hard to become a chief master sergeant. Now I realize that being a chief in the military is insignificant in comparison to hunting you down and making you pay for blowing up me and my team. Now it's my turn to decide who lives or dies. The most intense high I've ever had, he said with an evil grin. So, Mac, tell me, will you live or will you die? Chapter 60 he absently ran the knife along the side of Allie's body. With a quick flick of the knife, he slit her silky green top open. Her eyes widened in fear, sucking in her stomach to avoid getting cut by the knife. Mac watched, 
feeling helpless, unable to help her. She was getting frustrated not being able to figure out a way out of the situation. She was trying to clear her head and not let the panic rising in her throat take over when a loud shrieking noise came from the other end of the house. Chief looked up curiously. That could only mean one thing. Someone or something had just broken through the perimeter of his property. He looked at the ladies tied to the bed. Now y'all wait here while I'm gone. I'll be right back, he said, chuckling at his own joke. He stood to his full height and squared his shoulders to make himself look even more intimidating. With a quick about face, he left the room and headed toward the sound. Mac looked at Allie and whispered, we have to get out of here now. This may be our last chance. Allie moved her head up and down in agreement. She was afraid to make any noise and hoped Mac had a good idea. So I think if I can get some slack in the rope around my wrists, I might be able to slide one of my hands out. I need you to slide your foot next to mine so I can use it for leverage. Allie did as instructed and pushed her foot up against Max, giving her as much lift as possible. They could hear the monster moving about in the next room. Max stretched, trying to give herself a little slack. If she could maneuver her hand into the right position, she just might be able to create enough slack to slide her hand out of the binding. She pulled and stretched as far as her body would go. She heard him coming back toward the room. She quickly dropped back into place just as he walked back in. He said nothing, just walked into the room, not looking at the women. There was a frustrated look on his face. He checked the ropes on each of the women three times. They both watched him as he methodically moved from one to the other. He growled and was talking to himself as he did so. After checking the ropes, he left the room again. They could hear him move about the cabin and then head out the front door. The cabin's old floorboards creaked as he walked on them, letting them know exactly where he was in the house. Mac felt grateful she was able to track his whereabouts. She put her foot back on top of Allie's and began to push and stretch as far as she could. She wiggled her wrist, feeling it loosen slightly. Allie, I need just a little more, she said, panting lightly. Allie stretched her strong dancer's leg over as far up as she could, giving Mac just enough leverage to unhook her right hand. She moved it around, trying to restore circulation. As soon as she could feel her fingers again, she released her other hand and got to work on Allie's. It didn't take long for her to release one of her hands. They both began to move quickly, releasing each of their limbs until they were finally free. Can you walk? Mac asked, thinking that Allie had been tied up for a while and had also been sedated. Yeah, I think so, she said, getting to her feet cautiously. Her strong legs felt wobbly underneath her, but she regained her strength after a few steps. They moved to the open door and froze to listen. Mac glanced around the room looking for a weapon but saw nothing of use. She stuck her head around the doorframe, hoping he wasn't playing with them, but no one was there. She moved forward with Allie just steps behind her. Mac wasn't sure what her next best move would be. This was the man who had helped her become an expert marksman, and he had even taught her different ways to take down an opponent twice her size. He would be able to anticipate any move she threw at him. They rounded the corner into a small kitchen. This was more like it. A kitchen always presented several types of weapons. She flipped on the lights, no longer caring if he knew where they were, quickly throwing open cabinet doors trying to find something. Allie came over with a large knife, and Mac had a cast iron skillet in her hand. 
Not the best, but it would have to do until they found their guns. It was odd. Their boots were neatly lined up at the front door. It almost appeared like they were welcome visitors. She wondered why he would leave them at the front if someone stopped by. But then she thought about their location. No one would just stop by way out here. No one knew where they were, which also meant no one was coming to help. She again kicked herself mentally for not giving someone her location before barging in guns blazing. They came to the main living area of the house. Allie was in front this time while Max stayed behind her. The floorboards creaked as they moved. Max spun around with the frying pan in her hand when the lights went out. She cursed out loud. Allie, she whispered. Right here, Allie responded and touched her arm. A motion sensor kicked a light on somewhere in front of the cabin, casting just enough light for Mac to see he was standing right in front of them. Mac swung the skillet as hard as she could into him. He screamed in pain and dropped to one knee, holding his face. Run, Mac yelled. Allie took off at a full sprint, not looking back. Mac was right behind her until she felt his strong hand grip her ankle. The momentum sent her sprawling face first into the old wooden floor. She felt a few splinters embed themselves into the soft flesh of her arms. Allie was standing there staring at them, not sure what to do. Get help, Max screamed at her. Allie grabbed a pair of boots, flipped on the main room's lights and ran. She hoped it would afford Mac a slight advantage. She didn't think about a jacket or anything else until she was out in front of the cabin and realized she would freeze to death if she didn't find someone quickly. She ran as fast as her legs would carry her down the long, winding driveway. She passed Mac's car, which was pulled off to the side. She stopped for a moment to check the doors, but it was locked. It wouldn't have done her any good anyway, since she had no idea how to hotwire a car, and she was certain Mac wouldn't have just left the keys in the ignition. Allie finally found the end of the driveway and came running full tilt out into the road. And that exact moment, Hudson's truck came around the corner, his headlights lit something in the road, and he slammed on the brakes. His truck slid slightly forward, almost coming in contact with whatever was on the road. They were sitting too high up in the truck to see Allie's small frame. At first, Hudson thought it had been a deer and was thankful for not hitting it. He jumped out of the truck and found Allie trembling in front of his headlights, barely clothed and wearing a pair of Max boots. He gathered her in his arms. Joe came around the other side with a blanket that Hudson kept in the back of his truck. Where is she, was all Hudson could manage to say. Allie pointed up the long driveway. Hudson helped Allie into the truck. What are we up against, Hudson asked as they turned into the long driveway. He's a large man, not as big as Hudson, but big. He has dead eyes. Mac keeps calling him chief. I'm not sure if that means anything to you guys, but I've seen this guy at work before, Allie said beginning to feel calmer now that she was safe. But she was still terrified for Mac. That man hunting her was no longer human. Chapter 61 Mac lay still on the cabin floor, scanning the room for some sort of exit. It was still dark enough in the cabin that he wouldn't be able to make out her face. She could hear him stalking around the room, cursing. She saw drops of blood on the wood next to her face. She shook from the betrayal she felt. She had trusted him. There was movement behind her, and she felt him climbing on top of her. She would be pinned by his weight within moments. If he sat on her, she would be completely immobilized. She quickly rolled her hips and flipped her body over, 
bringing a knee up into his groin in one swift move. He grunted in discomfort and let his weight crush her. She couldn't breathe. Where did your little friend go? You know she's going to freeze to death out there. Why do you care, Mac spat. I've been fantasizing about you for a long time, Mac. You and Allie together, he whispered in a low, manic-sounding voice. His lips were practically touching her ear. She could feel his hot breath on her neck. It made her skin crawl. You know it was meant to be this way. You created me by blowing me up, and now you belong to me. Now it's time for you to give back. He moved his upper body off her and slid the ugly hunting knife across her throat. She felt the prick of the blade cut her skin, but not deep enough to cause serious damage. So, Mac, or should I call you by your real name, Sahar, how do you want to die? She lay very still, trying frantically to think. She tried to wiggle out from under his grip, but it was no use. Where do you think you're going, Mac? We're just starting to have fun. You tried to kill me. Now it's my turn. I know you came here to finish me off, but this time I was ready for you. This was not how it was supposed to go. She wasn't supposed to die because this sicko had some twisted fantasy about her. She had survived so much in her life. She had to stay alive for Lola. She couldn't abandon her sister like this. She would be devastated and completely on her own. Then she thought of Hudson and what might be. The hell with that. She wasn't ready to die. Maybe if she kept him talking, it would buy Allie enough time to get back. Tell me what I did to you, she said. You know what you did. He lifted the knife from her throat and slid it under her shirt, slicing it open and leaving her exposed. She moved to the left instinctively, trying to get away from him, and felt something sharp slice through her finger. Realizing it was the knife that Allie had been holding, she felt a renewed sense of hope. She must have dropped it when she ran. She silently thanked Allie for the gift. I want to hear what you think happened, she said. His eyes glassed over slightly, and it almost looked like he was going to cry. Why did you have to give me that bomb? I thought you were giving me a gift, but it wasn't. You hurt me and killed my team. Where were you when this happened? She asked, trying to keep him talking. You know where we were, in Afghanistan. We were having such a fantastic time until you had to go and blow me up. She slid her body slightly to the left so she could get a good grip on the knife. His legs were pinning her arms to her sides, but there was still enough wiggle room to get a hold of the handle. She hoped it would appear to him that she was simply struggling to breathe under his weight. It was strange to think it was this man that had taught her to use leverage with a larger opponent and always keep them distracted. He began to laugh at her in a crazy, manic hysteria. You think you fooled me, but I knew it was you. Now I want you to tell me why. It wasn't my fault. They made me do it, she yelled, hoping he would buy it. That's just not good enough. You were supposed to love me. He lifted the knife over his head, ready to plunge it into her stomach. He stayed there suspended for a moment, looking down at her, but he didn't seem to see her anymore. His eyes glazed over, and she thought he could only see Sahar and the love he used to feel for her. She leveraged the moment, thrusting her hips upward, throwing him slightly back and freeing her arms. As he came back down on top of her, she plunged her knife deep into his chest, stabbing him repeatedly over and over in a state of sheer panic. She didn't stop until she saw his eyes start to glass over. 
He looked confused like he couldn't believe what had happened as he fell squarely on top of her, smacking his head against hers and soaking her in his sticky warm blood. The knife sticking out of his chest cut into her, but she didn't notice. The blow of his forehead against hers knocked her out cold. Chapter 62 Hudson ran through the front door of the cabin, ignoring Joe screaming at him to stop and wait for backup. He had his gun drawn as he burst through the front door. In front of him lay a man on top of Mac. He wasn't moving, but neither was she. Her beautiful face looked at peace. Her eyes were closed, almost like she was sleeping. Joe came up beside him to help roll the man off Mac. Hudson whispered under his breath, holy shit. Did you know that guy? Joe asked. Yeah, that's my chief from work, Hudson replied still stunned to see his leader lying on the floor with a knife sticking out of his chest. They turned their attention back to Mac. She was covered in blood, but they couldn't tell if it was the chief's or her blood. She had a nasty shiner, but that was the only thing he could see. He felt for a pulse in her neck and was relieved to find it strong and very much alive. Her eyes fluttered open with a pained look in her eyes. Are you okay? Hudson whispered. I will be once you get your big carcass off of me, she wheezed with a small smile on her lips. He quickly moved away, not realizing that he had been smothering her while checking her pulse. Relief washed over him at the realization that she was okay, and still a smart ass. The entire cabin was bathed in red and blue lights within the next few minutes as the cavalry arrived. Joe had radioed for backup as soon as they had found Allie on the road, fearing the worst. He was thankful that still worked since their cell phones were out. It was a good thing he'd made the call since they obviously needed forensics and an investigative team, among other things. The paramedics rushed in and convinced Hudson to step aside. He stood there feeling helpless as they tended to Mac. It appeared she had a minor concussion and bruised, possibly broken ribs from the handle of the knife hitting her, and a cut that would need stitches, but aside from that, she was going to be fine. As the paramedics carried her to the door and out to the waiting ambulance, she looked back at Chief. Is he dead? She asked. Joe had been inspecting the body. With a curt nod of his head, he confirmed he was gone. She nodded and then let herself be taken to the ambulance. She was pleased to see Ali already in the ambulance waiting for her. Joe and his team took over the investigation and evidence gathering, while Mac and Ali headed to the hospital with Hudson following close behind. Chapter 63 Mac lay in her hospital bed talking with Allie, who had only suffered some abrasions from the ropes and minor dehydration. The doctor had told her that she might suffer from some psychological issues and gave her the contact information of a good therapist who dealt with PTSD. Mac, on the other hand, was a little more beat up. She had stitches, two broken ribs, and bruised several others. The doc didn't want her moving much until the ribs began to heal. She had mostly recovered from the concussion, but they wanted to monitor her because she still got dizzy spells. She was set to go home the next day. Thank you for coming for me, Allie said. I would have been dead for sure if it wasn't for you. Mac smiled. I'm just glad everything worked out. I wasn't sure if either of us was going to be okay for a while there. Well, here we are, Allie said, smiling. Did they tell you what they found at that psychopath's cabin? Mac shook her head. They hadn't given her a ton of information so far. 
She was worried about her career since she had gone off independently and disobeyed a direct order to leave the case alone. Joe told me that they found three bodies behind the cabin, buried out back in the woods. They're still investigating and may have to wait until spring before doing much more since the ground out there is still frozen. They also found a book full of women. It was some kind of sick photo album where he documented his kills and future kills. Allie said this last part and looked away from Mac. We were in there. Mac reached out and grabbed her hand. It's over now. He can no longer hurt us. To change the subject, she said, so what's next for you? I'm going to quit dancing and focus on med school. Also, Joe asked me out, she said without any prompting. He's a really good man. I think you two would make a good pair. Allie nodded her head in agreement. Well, we'll see. He said that we would have to keep things a little quiet until I testify about the case, but he said that would be no big deal since the suspect is deceased. Uh, Mac wondered what her own responsibility would be in that respect. She figured it would be a bit more intense than Allie since she had killed the man. I'm probably going to need you to testify on my behalf as well, she said. A confused look crossed Allie's face. What do you mean, testify on your behalf? You're a freaking hero here. They should be giving you a medal or something. Maybe they should make you a colonel. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately, Mac said, smiling. I broke the rules and went outside my jurisdiction. I also worked a case that I was specifically told not to touch. Well, you can count on me to set them straight. Without you, I would no longer be here. Allie smiled, trying to reassure her. You'll be happy to know that my sister's husband was released. They dropped all charges against him. Now that is good news, Mac replied. Have you seen him yet? Yeah, he seems to be doing okay. He's trying to get orders out of here and start fresh. He's staying with some friends. He can't bring himself to go back home. With all her stuff there, it's going to take him a long time to recover. Mac nodded her head, feeling a little disconnected since she had been in the hospital for almost a week and the police still had her cell phone. Something about it being part of the investigation. Thankfully, she still had the SAT phone to contact her sister with. Lola had been furious with her for disappearing like that and almost getting herself killed. They had talked for almost an hour the day after the incident. Mac had calmed her down and reassured her that she would be fine. Lola had been able to figure out who Sahar was. According to her research, Chief had been involved with this woman while he was in Afghanistan. She had been the daughter of a leader in the Afghan army, and she was the liaison between the two. She had planted a bomb that blew him and his team up at some point. Apparently, Chief had suffered damage to his frontal lobe and became obsessed with stopping Sahar. He had gone as far as setting up Johnson to deploy early so that he could get close to Zanira. She thought about Chief and the man he had been, the man she knew before the incident. Setting aside what he had become, she would miss him. He had been such a positive force in her life and her career. The man she had known was not the monster she had killed, and she would mourn his loss. Chapter 64 Hudson's huge frame engulfed the door to the hospital. Allie smiled at him and they exchanged pleasantries. Allie hugged Mac and said she would check in with her later, then made a quick exit to provide the couple with a little space. He had been there every day to check on her. He'd had to go back to work and answer a ton of questions. She thought he looked extremely sexy in his uniform. 
Luckily, it appeared leadership wasn't holding him responsible for her good actions. Hey, beautiful. How are you feeling today? He asked, coming over to kiss her. She smiled. She still felt electricity jolt through her body every time his soft, warm lips covered hers. I think you might be blind is how I'm doing, Mac teased. I haven't taken a shower in days because they are afraid. I'll move wrong and I have this beauty mark. She swept her fingers near the side of her face that was all black and blue. There was a deep bruise that had started to turn a little yellow along the edges. It wrapped around her left eye, making it look like she was wearing some deep purple and blue eyeshadow someone might wear for Halloween. He smiled down at her, knowing not to argue. It was a lot like arguing with an attorney. After a little while, you realized she enjoyed it and was always going to win. He wasn't sure what he had done to get so lucky, but he was certainly going to do whatever he could to keep this beautiful woman in his life. So the doc says you can take a shower today as long as someone goes in there with you and helps support your weight. I obviously offered my generous services, he said with a huge, sexy smile across his face. Nah, I think I'll have that good-looking male nurse from the third floor help me, she said with a wink. He acted offended. Oh, really? He bent in for a deep kiss that made her toes curl and let her know what he thought of her last statement. He stepped into the bathroom, turned on the shower, and stripped off his uniform. He walked back out looking like a giant chiseled god. I'd be happy to look at that view the rest of my life, she thought. Carefully, he moved the covers off her and picked her up off the bed. Her ribs screamed from the movement, but she didn't say a word. He would have felt awful if he thought he was hurting her. She felt safe and warm in his large arms. You know, you don't have to carry me. I can walk, she said with a smile. He ignored her, carrying her to the shower like she weighed nothing, which felt weird because she wasn't exactly petite. But compared to him, she was. She liked the feel of his strong body pressed against her. She wore nothing but a hospital gown. He gently bent at the waist to set her down on her feet right outside the tiny hospital shower, leaned over to lock the bathroom door just in case, and smiled down at her tenderly. She smiled back. He stepped behind her, and she felt his hands working the little ties that kept her gown together. The gown dropped to the floor, and he let out a deep breath. I may never get used to you. What on earth did I do to deserve this? She liked the way he always made her feel like the sexiest woman on the planet. He gently removed the bandages that were wrapped around her ribs. He did his best not to audibly gasp at the damage underneath as they fell away. She had deep swirls of black and blue mixed in with blotchy red patches that ran from underneath her left breast down to her waist. He gently helped her move into the shower as they both stood beneath the stream of water. He pressed his body against hers to help support her, sending a jolt of electricity through her. The water running over her limbs felt amazing. She hadn't realized how much she needed to be clean and feel his body. He reached over and grabbed the shampoo. She smiled, realizing that he had brought her toiletries from their house. That caught her off guard. She found it a little scary that she referred to it as their house rather than her house. She pushed the thought out of her mind as he washed her hair, rinsed it, and then put conditioner in it. For a man who normally had short hair, he was pretty good at this. He filled the little blue loofah with soap and began to run it over her naked body. She stood there with her eyes closed as he gently washed her from head to toe.
She was getting aroused and tried pressing against his body, but couldn't move quite right and winced. Not this time, beautiful. This is just about you feeling better. We can play later, Hudson said with compassion. She stood there with her eyes closed and her body against his. They stayed like that for a long time, just enjoying the feel of their bodies pressed against each other. She enjoyed the feel of his chest rising and falling behind her and his warm breath on her neck. He rinsed her off, gently helping with her hair and important parts. It hurt every time she raised her arms, so he took care of things for her, mindful not to move her too much. Once they were ready, he called for the nurse to get clean sheets and new bandages before they put her back in the bed. She couldn't wait to get home and back to normal life. At least she hoped her life would go back to normal and they wouldn't prosecute her for her actions. Chapter 65 The next day, Hudson picked her up from the hospital with flowers and a smile. Thankfully, it was Friday, and neither of them had anywhere to be over the weekend. She tried not to think about what awaited her the following Monday. She would have to explain her actions to a panel of her leaders, and they would decide what to do about her. That day came entirely too quickly. Hudson dressed her into her service uniform, helping her pin her long hair up so she was in regulation. It warmed her heart how supportive he had been. He said he would do anything he could to help her, and if the worst happened, he assured her she could stay with him as long as she wanted to. He hoped she would consider staying forever, but he didn't want to rush her given everything was still hanging in the balance. They drove on base together in Hudson's new truck. He pulled up to the wing headquarters building that housed the legal office. It appeared that everyone had gotten in on this thing. The wing commander, the command chief, the staff judge advocate, public affairs, her boss Stanton, and even her AF Loe commander were going to all be there to hear her story. Hudson could see that she was anxious and kept fidgeting with her uniform. To be honest, he was nervous for her. He knew how much her career meant to her. He parked the truck and helped her out of the passenger side. She was having a hard time getting around and was not supposed to drive with her current injuries. He was still hurting a bit himself from his accident, but he was much further into the healing process than she was. He hoped they would be kind to her and not destroy her. The possibility of a cover-up had certainly crossed his mind. The military didn't want this kind of negative publicity. He walked in with her, squeezed her hand, and sat down in the waiting area. No matter how things went, he couldn't be prouder of her. She squared her shoulders and walked into the wing conference room, showing no fear. The doors closed behind her with an audible click. She focused on controlling her breath. No matter what, she wouldn't show fear. Not to them. She had done the right thing and would not apologize for saving Allie's life. The wing commander stood as she walked in. Technical Sergeant Evelyn McGregor, thank you for joining us today, he said in an authoritative voice. Mac just looked at him like he had lost his mind. Thank you, sir, was all she could think to say. He smiled at her with kind eyes. Please have a seat, he said offering her the seat right next to his. That was not normal. A person usually had to be very high on the food chain to even sit at this table. She slowly lowered herself into the seat without saying a word. She did her best to sit straight and tried not to wince. How are you doing? He asked kindly. I'm healing well, she said. Thank you for asking. 
We've called you here today to thank you for taking the initiative to follow your instincts and save a woman's life. What you did was reckless and dangerous, but the end result cannot be argued with. At the end of the day, you single-handedly took on a very deranged member of our team and took him down. For that, we all owe you our gratitude, the wing commander said. Mac looked around the room, trying not to let her mouth fall open. Everyone was nodding in agreement. Her boss smiled at her and gave her a thumbs up. The wing commander raised his hand to quiet the room. Of course, we will need your full cooperation and testimony to close this case out. But after that, we would like you to become part of a task force to help prevent things like this from happening in the future. She cocked her head to the side in confusion. It would be my pleasure, sir. She sat for a few moments looking around the room at all the high-ranking people smiling back at her, and then remembered. Sir, what about the drug charges? Yes, I almost forgot about that. The maintenance chief confessed that Chief Delion had pressured him into it. Chief Delion was there in civilian clothes with him. Apparently, Chief Delion threatened his career if he didn't go along with it. Apparently, the chief knew about an affair he was having and threatened to tell his wife. As you know, adultery is against the UCMJ, so the allegation could have hurt his career and ended his marriage. The maintenance chief has been asked to retire. He claims he has no knowledge of the murders committed by Chief Delion. Max smiled, thankful that her good name had been cleared, and she once more had the opportunity to do what she loved. Investigate. The wing commander stood and everyone in the room followed suit. Thank you for your service. We're all happy that you're here today. Now go home and rest. We have a new case waiting for you when you're healed. Joint Base Lewis McCord would like your assistance on a case when you're back on your feet. We'll work out all the details and conduct a follow-up meeting when you come back from convalescent leave. She walked back out of the room and found Hudson pacing back and forth, waiting for her. She smiled nervously. You won't believe this, she said. They don't want to court-martial me or even fire me. All charges have been dropped, and I think they just offered me a job. As we close today's captivating episode on Book TV, don't forget to check out Novel Nutrition. Tailored for book lovers, our supplements are designed to complement your reading lifestyle. Use code BOOKTV for a 20% discount on your first order at novelnutrition.co. Enhance your reading experience with Novel Nutrition, and don't forget that every purchase helps support an author.